Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Time for School, Rock School, with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. Dave Coulier? Really? <laughs> You're this upset over Dave Coulier? And Beth West. Mm-hmm. Absolutely none of them worked. Well, that's all right. Yeah. They're cheap that way. Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show on your radio, or unless you're listening to podcasts, then it's probably your earbuds. Uh, my name is Joe Burns. You are? Todd Delaney, sitting in for Beth West. See? Who, I... originally, you know, Silencio the, the mime was going to sit in for it today. <laughs> right. right. But, but yeah, it would have been pretty boring. Yeah, he was yeah. in a box. Right, exactly. He couldn't, couldn't get out. get out, yeah. that's right. And on top of that, that rope showed up, and he just pulled himself <laughs> right away. And there he goes. Thing. So long. This is show number two of the Elongated Summer Show we like to do every summer here's the concept you go to a concert you look at the stage everything on the stage is something that has a history and last week we talked about the bass guitar we talked about fog and drums. smoke drums sure. things like that if you'd like to hear last week's show go to kslu.org there is a rock school radio what do you call it? Icon. Icon. Sure. I don't really know from Picture. the interweb right. thing. Click on it with the little loser finger that points on it. <laughs> click on that, and when you get to the web page, click on episodes, and there it will be for you. You can download that as a podcast and take a listen to it. So we continue today. When you go see a concert, inevitably, somebody is going to pull out an acoustic guitar. I thought you were going to say something else, but I'm glad you went there. (laughs) That's right. No, nothing about Jim Morrison in Florida. (laughs) Okay. But an acoustic guitar. Now, let's take a look at the history of this. Now, the electric guitar is a much different animal. We can really pinpoint this is where the electric guitar started. And I'm holding off on the electric guitar. We're going to do that later, 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 later. The acoustic guitar. Mm Mm-hmm. The cl- and most of this, by the way, is from the guitar encyclopedias that I have at my house. So if you are There's a, more than one. Oh, I probably own five. Okay. Oh, sure. Huh. If, if this doesn't go along with your history, I apologize. The closest thing that we have to today's guitars... Now, a lot of people will say an acoustic guitar came from a lute. Right. Okay, probably. But I want to start where it looked like a guitar. Okay. Okay. As opposed to a gourd. Right, a gourd okay. with some strings on it, sure. played by a guy with little skinny fingers and a painting. No, that's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> that rickety guy. A guitar, that's what uh-huh. I want. A 16th century instrument was created that looked like a woman's body. A guitar was created to look like a woman. Huh. That's, that's its purpose. It's a pretty looking gourd. You bet. It had a long neck, it had tuners. The difference was that it had five courses of strings... And the frets were tied on. Do you know what that means, courses of strings? Uh, I had no idea. The, uh, you, the, the female body analogy kind of broke down there for me. You lost the, it right at yeah, that right point? There. Yeah, yeah, five. I don't know. When you play a mandolin, instead of striking a single string, okay. you strike two strings that are very, very close together. Right. That's called a course of strings. Ah, okay. So this technically had ten strings. Hmm. 
five courses sure. of strings. Got it. And the frets, instead of being cut into a wooden neck, were pieces of string tied on. Okay. So you could move the frets anywhere you wanted. You could make it a half-tone instrument all over the place or a whole-tone instrument. You do anything you wanted to it. Sure. The frets were not permanent. In the 17th century, metal strings were created. Before that, the strings were created out of gut. Okay. The intestines of an animal. Sinew. They would pull out. Exactly. Sure. They would pull out the, the, the heavy tendons right. and put them on. And they would break and break and break and break. And you'd have to stop in the middle of songs and, and restring it. Hmm. Metal strings were added in the 17th century. More than likely... Not just to fix the gut, because people still today will play with gut strings. Right. It's probably to create volume. In the 18th century, then, the sixth string was added, and it was added as the bass. And once again, bass probably to add volume. Mm -hmm. And the physical tuning of the instrument, E-A-D-G-B-E, was created. Huh, there so you go. There's where we're at so far. It goes on, but that at least gets us to the thing we kind of know today. Let's play a guy who plays a great acoustic guitar. Nuno of Extreme on the album Porno Graffiti. He plays a 12 string to wrap up the whole album. This is called Wholehearted on Amsterdam. All right, talking the acoustic guitar here on Rock School. Now, we've gone through the 18th century where the sixth string was added. We've now got something that plays kind of like a guitar. Sure. Right. Instruction booklets in Spain are now showing techniques pretty close to the way we play today. All right. So okay. they're writing for it, right? Good. Let's go to 1830 in America. <laughs> and here we are. Hey. See, there you go. In America... The banjo was extremely popular. Now, the banjo is an instrument that you can basically go straight back to Africa with. Sure. Okay. A man by the name of Christian Frederick Martin starts a guitar company in 1830 and is performing and creating guitars with gut strings on them. 1830, Martin. 1830, right. The Martin guitar. Mm -hmm. However, he decides, since the banjo is so popular... Why don't I take the concept of the metal strings on the banjo and put them on the guitar? Brilliant. So it's him that crossbreeds the instrument. Martin then invents what's known as the cross brace for the guitar's flat top. See, the guitar had a problem in which it would sort of fold up. Buckled. It would buckle. Right. Right. This cross brace helped the strength of the instrument deal with more pressure and what he called more stringent playing i.e. strumming huh. hard strumming because you always plucked it before sure but when you banged away on it you actually produce pressure that could buckle the instrument gibson and washburn guitars also used the idea of steel strings on larger body uh, what gibson would do is create bodies that were absolutely huge right and the purpose was 
loudness. American bodies. Once again, you got it. And Washburn created guitars that were in the shape of a bell. That was their big thing. Every, right. every guitar looked like a bell. Sure. But again, large because loudness. Right. That's what everybody wanted. That's the big push. Gibson launched their arch-topped models in 1929 with the L5 bringing lightness and, you know, pretty much prettiness mm -hmm. to the guitar. A few more advancements are coming up in the acoustic guitar, and I'll tell you about those after we play another acoustic piece. Here's Eric Clapton from his Unplugged, i.e. all acoustic instruments. This is called Hey Hey on Rock School. Let's wrap up acoustic guitars and get us to the day that we have. Uh, let's say today you're going out to see a rock concert. The guitar, remember I talked about the, the Gibson L5? Sure. Okay, another thing that it had inside of it was a separate bridge and tailpiece and the first truss rod. Now, do you know what a truss rod is in a guitar? I have no idea. Was the, that right next to the prize that came inside of it? It certainly is. You had to eat all of the popcorn and right. peanuts first. But, no, in the neck... Mm -hmm. What they did was a neck used to just be a piece of wood, sure. so it would warp and turn and twist. What they did was take the piece of wood and cut a trough down the middle of it okay. and put a piece of metal inside ah, of it. Keep it stable. Once that metal was in there, then inside of that piece of metal was a long, you know, a, what would you call it, threaded rod. Okay. And you could turn that rod, and if your neck had sort of racked to the left, you could turn that rod and rack it back to Straighten where it should it up. be. Right. Cool. It's truss rod. Stuck that in there. Didn't happen on electrics. It happened on acoustics. Right. In the 1930s, Martin released the D45, the Dreadnought, believed by many to be the most perfect acoustic guitar ever built. Mislabeled. Dre right. Dreadnought? Now, why is it called a Dreadnought? Tell me about this. The purpose of a dreadnought or the reason a guitar is a dreadnought is because the body meets the neck at the 14th fret okay that's the concept of a dreadnought that's why it's there and people who collect acoustics if you can get a martin d45 it's supposed to be the most perfect acoustic instrument ever built so these are the ones that i'm seeing on an antiques roadshow going for like <laughs> money. zillions of dollars right, right. In 1927, then, National Guitar releases their all-metal resonator guitars. Hmm. Okay, now I know you've seen these. Right. It's the guitar that's on the front of the Dire Straits Brothers in Arms right, LP. Right, right, right. All, all metal. Nice and pretty. What's the point of them? Well, every acoustic guitar, the concept is loudness. A, an acoustic guitar plays with a band that's got horns in it. Right. Well, the horns are louder. Sure, you're going to get drowned out. Right. And at the moment, there isn't great amplification. Mm -hmm. Back in the 20s and such, there isn't great amplification. The loudness of an acoustic guitar was amplified dramatically through national guitar. What they did is they created these resonators. They, they took things that looked like dinner plates. Okay. And they put them in the body of the guitar, and it's the same as taking your hands and putting them around your mouth Ooh. to direct the sound. Now, the guitar itself wasn't any louder. Just kind of sound. How did that have that effect of, right. I sound louder. Right. I push but I'm not the actually sound louder. that way. Exactly. Right. Okay. It's, it's when, when we're doing this show, when we record our voices... 
we don't record ourselves so much louder, but we use graphic equalizer. We use different effects sure. to amplify, to compress, that kind of thing. Right. And it gives the impression yeah, that it's go. louder. Yeah. And that's what National did. And when people play a National guitar, the purpose of it was to make it louder. Right. Always oh. louder. Nice. And that led, of course, to the electric guitar. Love it. But that's not where we're going next. Oh, okay. No, no, no. Okay, Red Herring. Here we go. Speaking of National Guitar... Keb Moe, mm, yeah, sure. fan of his, Absolutely. New Orleans. Keb Moe plays national guitars. Ooh. Now, they're not only made in stainless steel. They're made in any flavor of metal you'd like. But they're all metal. They're all metal. Right. And sometimes they have wooden uh, wooden fretboards. Okay. And sometimes they have wooden necks. But I'm, I'm sure if you had enough money, they'll do anything you want. Right. You know, but... Yeah. When Keb Mo plays, he always plays an acoustic made by National. And from what I understand, the just in the last Jazz Fest, he played one that was made totally of copper. Come on. Neato, huh? From his album Suitcase. This is Suitcase on Rockstar. I got a suitcase. I take it everywhere I go. Just a big old bag of trouble. I don't need no more. All right, first break here on Rock School. Let's go on to something different. We just finished the acoustic guitar. When you go see a concert up on the stage, there are probably amplifiers. Big amplifiers. Big amplifiers. Normally, a lot of the ones on stage aren't really amplifying. Right. Because you'll see a guy who's standing with a guitar and behind him is a wall of marshals. Right. And he's standing there with a guitar. More than likely, those amplifiers are not pumping out the sound. Why? Because if you took that guitar and stood in front of the amps that were amplifying the guitar, feedback, it right? would feedback like crazy. Sure. Also, if you have a microphone pointed directly backwards at the amplifiers that are amplifying your voice, Ooh. oh, it would be it'd be horrible. Mm. So a lot of times that's just for show. Sure. On Van Halen's 1984 tour, their stage was covered in amplifiers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely none of them worked. Well, that's all right. They're yeah. cheap that way. More than likely all the sound is coming out of a single or two really nice guitar amplifiers, and are then pushed through the house PA system. That's normally what happens. So, let's talk amplifier. You teach introductory broadcasting. I certainly do. You do a lot of this physics stuff. Sure. Who invented the concept of amplifying? This is Lee DeForest. Lee DeForest. Right. Who saw it for the trees. Mm. Uh, He proved that you could strengthen an electrical signal coming into a triode vacuum tube by adding a control grid. What? Uh What does that mean? Here's the basic concept of an amplifier. People think that sound comes into an amplifier, is made louder, and then goes out the other side. -uh. No, that's not really what happens. In the simplest of terms... An electrical signal comes in, it is then recreated louder. It it is recreated in a in a higher attenuation. Sure. Now that's that's really the Fisher Price version (laughs) of what happens. But Lee DeForest found out that he could have um, positive ions coming off of this tube catch them. And then by catching them, could make the signal stronger. Sure, absolutely. louder. Right. That's what he did. Okay. How do you then get this loudness out there? You'd think there's always been speakers. 
No, no, there hasn't. Not really. Not no. so much. People, first radios when they came out, didn't have speakers. They had headphones. Right. And headphones aren't really speakers. I know those little earbuds are speakers. You can hear them. That's modern speakers. Small right. speakers from today. But yeah. yesteryear, not so much. No, not really. The first speakers, the first things that were used to hear sound were put out by Edison, Magnavox, and Victrola back in the 1800s, and they were horns. So basically what you had was instead of a microphone, you had a microphone turned around, which was basically this. Right. Taking the simplest of air disruption, because mm-hmm. sound is nothing more than air disruption, taking the simplest air disruption and then making it go a certain direction. And if you had the horn large enough and enough air disruption, you would hear the sound. Exactly. You actually do this in class, don't I you? I do, yes, absolutely. You create a, a speaker we out make of a speaker. nothing. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that most people know of today is what's known as the electromagnetic coil or cone loudspeaker. This is the thing that's a circle. Sure. Looks like a dinner plate and pushes forward to disrupt air. Right. Okay. Where did that come from? We'll get into it. Hello, Radio Universidad Salamanca, Spain. Thanks for running the radio show. Pick one. And here we go. KPVL in Postville, Iowa. Thanks for running the show. Catch us on Facebook. Search Rock School Radio Show and like us. You really like us. Back in a minute to continue with amplification because it's on the stage. It's on the stage, and that's what we're doing right here in Rock School. All right, coming out of the break, we're talking about amplifiers because they're all over the stage. I said it was 1861, I believe I said this, sure. that the first cone and coil loudspeaker, the ones you know of today, was created. It was done in Germany. Guy was a teacher, and he didn't even create it. He created the concept of it, drew it out said, this is really how it should work. As did most Germans at the time. They were making some amazing things. <laughs> they were. This is how it should work. This is how it should work. All right, rest of the world, go make a good one. Now, that's 1861, remember. Right. It wasn't until the early 1900s that two guys, one's name is C.W. Rice, and the other one's named E.W. Kellogg's. I know that sounds like they should be making breakfast cereals. I, did they afterwards? I'm sure they, they did. did not. Oh. Uh, they worked for AT&T. They finally used, and it was based on this guy's this guy from Germany, this John Philip Reese, uh, Johann Philip Reese. I call him John. Yeah. Uh, they finally figured out the physics, and they were able to attach a speaker to an amplifier. See, the problem is, can you build it? Yeah, there it is. Right. The problem is, you have to take this electromagnetic signal and have the speaker turn it into exactly the sound that. That the electromagnetic signal supposedly houses. Sure, is sending. That's the that's the hard thing. Can you make the speaker work just by touching it with electricity? Sure. Sure, why and not? It'll go blap, blap, blap. Right. But it has to. But it's got to blip harmoniously. Right? It has to recreate what's supposedly going into it. That's the hard thing. Mm-hmm. In 1921, the first modern speaker system was created by Edison. Why? To sell Edison radios. Absolutely. That's its whole purpose. Yeah. Now, where did guitar amplifiers come in? Nobody's really sure. 
more than likely the first guitar amplifiers were probably modified PA systems, voice amp systems. Right. Somewhere in the 15-watt range uh, attached to lap guitars. Okay. And you'll know why lap guitars, once we get into electric guitar, yeah. why that makes sense. It was in the 1940s when guitar companies really took to putting pickups in their instruments that amplifiers were specifically made for guitars and basses. Now, we'll do just a touch more on amplification for specific instruments, but we're going to play one from the Kinks. Ooh. This amplifier that they used was the sound of Brit music. You can still buy them today. It's called the Vox AC30. I'm familiar with this, actually. You are? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Sure. Vox is an unbelievably good amplifier. I'm not a fan of it. It's too jangly. It has too much high end. It's for a me. British sound, though. It yeah. is. It's a British sound. It's I'm, beautiful. I'm more of a Marshall and a Rollins sound guy. I like the British sound. Do you? Oh, yeah. This is for you. It's the Kinks on Rockstar. Bottom of the hour, way late here on Rock School because I'm just going on and on about amplifiers. It just, you could do so much on amplifiers. I love the amplifiers. You could do the whole show on amplifiers. You could, and not just, because we're only talking about the cone speaker. Right. You could get into piezoelectrics. You could get into all different kinds of amplifiers. It's just you don't see those in concert. They're almost no. all cone amplifiers. Sure, absolutely. So, They're impressive. Let's take a break. Let's do 7 Days, 70 Seconds. When we come back, I'll give you three more little blips of information about specific instrument amplifiers, and then we'll move on to another topic. But first, 7 Days, 70 Seconds. I'm Joe Burns. I'm Todd Delaney. There you are. These are the dates June 10th through June 16th. Something that happened on these dates every day in history. Todd has Monday go. June 10th, 1993. Sinead O'Connor took out a full page ad in the Irish Times asking the public to please stop hurting me. O'Connor was still being blamed for ripping a picture of the Pope on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, and most people took the paper and uh, ripped it. June 11, 1998, Amazon.com expands its product line from books alone to include CDs. And they won my heart that day. Mm -hmm. June 12, 1965, the Beatles received their first MBEs. What does that mean? Most Excellent Order of the British Empire. June 13th, 1995, Alanis Morissette releases her album, Jagged Little Pill. My wife goes, oh my God. And people everywhere said, Dave Coulier, really? You're this upset over Dave Coulier? Really? <sighs> June 14th, 1971, the first Hard Rock Cafe opens in London. Uh, June 15th, 1967, Peter Green announces he's leaving John Mayles Blues Breakers and will form a new group named Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac, Yay! which will become Fleetwood Mac. June 16th, 1995, Pearl Jam began their tour and that refused to use Ticketmaster. They used a series of mail-order services instead. Yeah, that didn't work for very long. They went right back to Ticketmaster Ticketmaster. Jeez. Oh, Bow before bought, me. I just bought four tickets to go see a baseball game. Yeah. To see the Zephyrs play, because my kid wants to go see the Zephyrs sure. play. I think the tickets were all told supposed to be $32. Right, absolutely. Yeah, they ended up being 50 plus. <laughs> and a pint of blood, right? Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Fender amplification. 
Fender made some of the earliest amplifiers specifically for guitar. This was Leo Fender and his partner Doc Kaufman at KNF Manufacturing, 1945-46. Doc the Brains. Yep, somewhere around there. The Fender Bassman, produced in 1952, uh, pardon me, mm-hmm. was a 50-watt tube amplifier with a 15-inch speaker Ooh. that's really is looked at as the first specific guitar bass amplifier. Standell and Kay released the first solid state amps in 1961, and it was at the request of Pete Townsend that Marshall create an 8x12 cabinet on top of which the 1959 Marshall head was put, and that gave rise to the Marshall stack. Love it. The iconic image for rock and roll. Beautiful. Now, what song do we play? I'm going to play Boston Smokin'. No, where, where's the Who? Why? Well, I have the Who, but I don't want to play the Who. I'm playing okay, Boston Smokin'. All right. Why? You know, Tom Schultz is only is not only a musician. He's a brainiac who creates electronic sure. instrument stuff. Right. Well, as far as I know, the strongest single amplifier, stack amplifier, uh-huh. ever created, and I may be wrong, but as far as I know, the strongest one ever created would drive 500 watts into a single cabinet plus four slots for effects. It was made by the Schultz-Rockman Group. Now, most amplifiers are 100, 170, 200. No, this, this is guy 500. Now, you think to yourself, oh, 500 watts. How, how loud can that go? It would blow your ears off the side of your right. head. Right. So spicy, it would fold time. It certainly would. And you wonder, well, how does Boston sound like Boston? That. There you go. That. No way you stood in the same room with that amplifier. Huh. That had to be in a cabinet. Smoking on Rock School. All right, second break here on Rock School. Let's get away from amplification. Let's start talking microphones. Ooh, microphones. Right. I love microphones. Aren't there microphones always on stage when always. you're at a concert? Every time. Right, right, right. Now, I asked you off off microphone so you'd have an answer up front. When you teach this, who do you normally say invented the microphone? I always go with uh, Graham Bell. Right. Alexander Graham Bell. Right, the television. The television. television. I'm an idiot. Yeah. Telephone. Watson, come here. I want you. Sure. That's the first thing supposedly said. Well, here's the thing. The microphone already existed. You have two of them on either side of your head. Right. That's all it is. Sound being turned into an electrical signal. That's what you want to do. It's an acoustic to electric transducer. Well, when you go to a microphone website, in 1665... One guy says the first microphone was created by an English physicist named Robert Hooke. Hmm. He stated this guy created the lover's telephone made of wire stretched between two cups. This is the thing that kids use. Yeah, this, right. But this guy was shocking people as well, if I'm uh, not mistaken. Sure, right? with, with that, because right. you could actually hear the sound through it. Sure. Now, that cup with the string in it, mm-hmm. believe it or not, is... Crude, but it's a microphone. You want to call it a microphone? Okay. Yeah, it's crude, but kind of. The term microphone was actually coined in 1827 by a guy named Sir Charles Wheatstone. Great. Now we're to Bell. Was Bell's 
telephone really using a microphone? Maybe, maybe not. Now, you build microphones. Right, sure. We make a carbon microphone. We make an electromagnetic microphone in class. Was he really using a microphone? I'm going to have to go with yes, absolutely. Okay, sure. fair enough. Uh, 1876, a guy named Emil Berliner invented what many people say was the first microphone used as a telephone service uh, at the U.S. Centennial Exposition. Uh, he, what he did is he took Bell's invention and expanded it out, creating just what you said. Exactly. A carbon system using electronic elements to send it along right so is it graham bell or is it this emile berliner it was the invention of radio that really brought on the concept of more microphones and that was eh, 1941 42 right around that there. microphones really started going crazy sure. right and we'll talk about what kind of microphones there really are we have a new uh that i know of a new affiliate we sure Who do uh ksqr these guys are in thief Thief River Falls, Minnesota. Thief River Falls? Correct, absolutely. Okay, there's a story behind that. There probably is. We'll have to make one up momentarily. Thief River Falls. Thief River Falls, Minnesota. KSQR. Thanks for carrying the show. It's probably cold up there. A little bit. Back in a minute. Rock School. All right, let's wrap up the microphone here. Uh, let me give you a couple more pieces of information. In 1964, Bell Laboratories came up with the concept of the electroacoustic transducer Ooh. or the electric microphone. The electric. Yeah, that's the one that's inside of... It's a little very, 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 very tiny little microphone. Oh, yeah. You got one inside of your phone right there. Absolutely. Yeah, there's in anything that accepts voice, it's, it's inside of. They're made by the gajillions and uh, it was 64 where they were created. Now, in the 70s, two microphone formats came out, dynamic sure. and condenser. So the dynamic one, this is the one with the voice coil. Right, exactly. That's the one that's, that's basically stuck between two magnets. Sure. The electric pulse is created by magnets. Kind of like a speaker in reverse. Exactly. Right. It's exactly that. And a condenser is done with a phantom or battery power. Right. Phantom power means the power comes back through the audio board, through the microphone cable. But the condenser microphone also can work off a battery. Now, when you're watching a a concert, more than likely they're using a dynamic microphone. I've seen the Shure SM58 on stage all over the place. Sure. And for what reason? Because they are some of the most durable microphones around. You can club a unicorn and still <laughs> perform beautifully on stage. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the there's a there's a great story. I never saw it myself when the Shure came out. Right. The the original poster for it had it under the back tire of a truck. All right. And that, you know, basically it will survive this. Sure, absolutely. When it came out at whatever audio thing it came out at, the guy walked up on stage, took a hammer and a piece of wood, took the microphone, pounded the nail into wow. the wood, then took the mic cord, plugged it in and went, 
I'm at booth 56. Unbelievable. Unplugged it and walked over. And the whole crowd went, oh, 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 and oh walked right God. over to him. Beautiful. Yeah, During the uh, nuclear nuclear uh, apocalypse that uh, could could happen, the sure. roaches are going to crawl into an SM58. <laughs> and, and Keith and Richards will sing into one. Right? Be beautiful, yeah. Uh, we need a vocal person. Uh, Ann Wilson, heart. It's cities burning on Rock School. Last break here on Rock School, talking about all those things you see on stage when you go to a concert. Well, if there's a horn section, 100 bucks says there's a... Trumpet! Trumpet, you bet. Uh, it says here, variations of this instrument go all the way back to 1500 B.C. in one form or another. 1500. 1500 B.C. Good As Lord. in, you know, whoever blew his trumpet and knocked down the walls of Jericho. Right. So, you know, it was done with a trumpet. Uh, the keys, or technically... Piston valves. Oh, is that right? Wow. Yeah, that's the name of them. So go. when you're talking to a trumpeteer or a trumpet player, make sure you refer to them as piston valves. Paying for education here. Huh? Or if you, there's also those ones that go up and down. Those are piston valves. Sure. There's also ones you work with your thumb. They're called rotating valves. Okay. And all they do is lengthen or shorten the tubing. Depending on what trumpet you have, if you straightened it out the whole way, it could be anywhere from 8 to 14 feet of Good. tubing gravy in one, in one trumpet isn't there also a spit valve or is that just a practical joke my brother played on me no there is a spit valve okay. because you don't spit into it but because you're using breath and your breath contains moisture sure it it accumulates okay and there's this little thing there that you push and a a, a rubber tipped something or other gets out of the way and yeah, there you go out comes the moisture yeah which i guess technically is spit but Eh. Uh, the most common type of trumpet, the one you see almost all the time, is known as a B-flat trumpet. Hmm. But there's also F, C, D, uh, E-flat, E, G, and A trumpets all lower. There is also a higher version known as the piccolo trumpet. Think CBS Saturday Morning. That oh, real, sure. Little pretty trumpet fanfare. Right. And the solo in the Beatles, Penny Lane. So there you go. Brilliant. I Everything love it. Everything you need to know about a trumpet. All right. The Penny Lane solo, which is what we'll end on, was done in 1967 by trumpet player David Mason, recorded on the piccolo trumpet. The solo is a performance inspired by Bach's second Brandenburg Concerto. I I heard it immediately. Sure. And it's a mock Baroque style for which the trumpeteer was paid 27 pounds. Ten shillings. And a ham sandwich. And a ham sandwich on your way out. Make sure you grab a drink as well. There's a water fountain as you leave. All right. That does it. We're going to see you next week for the next run. We've got a whole bunch more stuff that happens on the stage. It's our extended summer show. I'm Joe Burns. I'm Todd Delaney. That's it. Class is dismissed. Penny Lane, there is a barbershop.